Hello, and welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm Andy Viano. This week, I'm joined by the oldest of three brothers profiled in the March 10th issue, former professional downhill ski racer, longtime ski instructor, and champion Galande jumper Brent Wilson. Brent and his younger brothers, Rolf and Eric, make up an incredible 25-year dynasty in the little-known sport of Galande, having won the Snowball Cup in Missoula 19 times since 1996 and setting record after record at Snowball and elsewhere in a high-adrenaline ski event. I'll talk to Brent about how he found his way to Galande jumping and what it's been like to watch his family dominate the sport for so long, including yet another championship for youngest brother Eric at Snowball earlier this year. Micah Drew wrote this week's cover story, The Brothers Galande, and you can read it right now for free at flatheadbeacon.com. But before I bring on Brent, a quick reminder that this episode and all of the work we do at the Flathead Beacon is made possible in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Club members contribute as little as $5 per month to help make the work we do possible, and they qualify for some great perks, too. To learn more or to join the club today, check out beaconeditorsclub.com. Before I have any questions, will you just uh, introduce yourself? Tell me who you are. Well, uh, my name is Brent Wilson. I'm an old-time Glendale jumper ski racer, and uh, I guess I'm uh, the big brother of Rolf Wilson and Eric Wilson, and I guess you're wanting to talk to us about the Flying Wilson brothers. That is exactly right, and thank you very much for for taking some time to do it. For for people, thank who, you who are listening who don't know what what is Galande what does a Galande jumper do well Galande jumping is all about it's kind of like Nordic jumping but we have fixed heels so it's a it's a little more dynamic a little more scary it's a little more velocity based but it's a hell of a lot of fun and uh you know we fly a long ways so well, let's go back a couple of years. You and your brothers grew up in Whitefish. Uh, I imagine like most good Whitefish families spending time uh, on skis and, and up on the mountain. How, how did you get started as a skier? And, and I guess, can you walk me through how that eventually led you to uh, Galande jumping? Well, <laughs> do you want the short version or the long version? <laughs> we got time. I can take the long version. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, me and my family, you know, me and my mom and dad back then, we moved to Whitefish, gosh, in 1975, I believe. And, you know, big ski community there. And so my dad and mom were avid skiers. So they got me into skiing, you know, it was the thing to do. So, boy, started out skiing 100 days a year as a little teeny tyke. And eventually, you know, wanted to to ski race and so joined the big mountain ski team and uh that really developed my ski racing skills and eventually i met a ski coach at my first junior olympics by the name of chris lund and we had a little informal uh glende jump at junior olympics and 
lo and behold, uh, well, we didn't do very well in the Alpine racing. We kind of sucked because that was my first JOs and uh, Northern Division wasn't particularly good that that year. But you know, by God, we won the we won the Galindi jump first and second, and uh, it was due to Chris Lund and the kid that won the jump was Tommy Moe and I ended up getting second. And so that's kind of where it started. I kept ski racing, you know, through high school and into college and became a ski coach and kind of dropped jumping boy for at least 10 years and uh, eventually became the director of Missoula Ski Education Foundation, which allowed me to schedule my other coaches and for me to finally take some time off got back on the horse started jumping and you know i got second place in 94 i want to say my first jump and from then on i was hooked you know walked away with a a bunch of money and and from there the rest is kind of history what was it Brent, that hooked you. Why? Why this? And why not continue with with ski racing or something else? What What did pull you in? Well, I you know, I kept ski racing and even did it professionally on the on the King of the Mountain tour. And you know, there were some kind of minor league professional ski jumps here and there that would have jackpots, and and so we would travel around and make money on the weekends to try to help pay for college. And uh, between that and ski jumping and uh, ski juring, we always managed to make a little pocket money and enjoy, you know, skiing and uh, have a heck of a lot of fun. You talked, I think, very early in our, in our conversation here about the adrenaline of Galande jumping. What, what are those? I guess what makes it it maybe a little bit more dangerous and and why is that something that that you were attracted to and and wanted sure, to do sure well you know ski racers especially downhillers kind of have that insatiable tendency to go really fast and and test the limits and and seek the the adrenaline a bit more than a lot of people and being a downhiller Glendy jumping is kind of a natural extension of it, especially with jumps like snowball. You, you really have to be a great skier at snowball because, you know, there's a turn on the in run. You got to jump off the pad. You got to fly between the rock and, and the judges. And then you got to land it way down the hill and then uh, be safe in a crazy, crazy transition, make a turn out of it. I mean, it, it it's really exciting. It's it's amazingly intense, and you know, for downhillers and skiers that have had a lot of miles and and you know can handle the airtime. Oh man, it's it's a riot. It's uh, it's a hoot. Once you try it, you'll never uh, want to go back. You talked a couple of times about snowball in particular. What is the significance of the Galande event that's held there every year? Oh man, it's, it's a hill that has great tradition, you know, like I'm sure you're aware they've had a 
a formal event there since 74, but uh, incredible tradition, great skiers hill, snowball's a, a jumper's jump. You know, snowball is, is one of these jumps where a good skier with big legs can fight his way in power uh, to the top of the podium. You know, maybe a little less flying skills are needed to, to do well at that hill. But if you're a, a damn good skier, <laughs> you end up going a long ways. So snowball's a jumper's hill, a skier's hill, I guess is what I would qualify it as. Whereas like a, a jump like Steamboat Springs, which is probably our biggest hill that we, we fly, and that's where the world record was set. You know, Steamboat's a straight in run off the takeoff and then fly like a bird as best you can. And so it's a little, little different. So Snowball's, uh, I guess I would call it a skier's hill. Correct me if I'm wrong, Red, but you won at Snowball for the first time in, uh, I think, 1996. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was 1996. Yeah. And since then, you, you've won more, and, and so have your brothers. And I suppose we should probably talk about them a little bit. I mean, how, how did you get your brothers into this sport? And, and then what is... For folks who maybe haven't read Micah's article yet, what is the the extent of of the dominance, I guess, that you and your brothers have had at Snowball ever since 1996? You know, just growing up at Big Mountain and having a, a great ski area that we could, you know, get out 100 days a year and get miles and fly and learn. You know, my brothers always were tagging along behind me as a racer always trying to ski as fast as me and chasing me down. And eventually once I think in 1990, I became a ski coach at Missoula as my brothers came and visited me and you know, always we'd ski snowball and look at the jump and do all that. But uh, eventually Rolf ended up moving in with me and becoming my roommate. And I think that was in like, gosh, 92 or so somewhere around there. He moved in with me, and I hired him as a uh, as my uh, assistant coach. And of course, that led to him jumping. And then Eric came down, and you know, from there on out, it, it just kind of blossomed. You know, Rolf and Eric are are great skiers, and you know, we each have our own positive attributes. You know, Rolf is a great athlete in anything that he ever did from picking up a golf club to, to skiing or, or anything. He just is a natural athlete and a great flyer. And ultimately that's what took him to a world record. And, and Eric, Eric's kind of, Oh, he's, he's a lot like me, you know, he just powers his way through it. He's such a strong skier that, uh, you know, we can fight our way to the top, but boy, what a trip and what a long, strange trip it's been to think 26, 20, gosh, 25, 26 years ago was the first time I won it. Wow. And since then, you know, between you or your brothers, I, I think it's, is it 19 wins at, at, at that event? What's it, uh, what's it mean to, yeah. to, to see your brothers have success or have the success that you had? We've got this, this little family dynasty that, 
I guess thanks to Eric is is still going down there. What what is that like to to think about? <laughs> oh, it's just absolutely awesome. I was so tickled to to hear that Eric wanted. I'd been talking to him, you know, leading up to the event and stuff, and you know, the banter back and forth, find the end, and all the the things as a, a ski coach that you say to your fellow racer and, and jumper and stuff, and uh, from Friday night on, it was silent. And, you know, you know, I, I, of course, I want instant feedback, you know, I'm the coach, the older brother and stuff. And, and, uh, finally to, uh, I knew it, he's, he, I didn't find out until whew, it was like Sunday at seven or 8 PM. He sent me a picture of the cup. So it was a great, awesome way to end such a weird year, you know? To see him win it was, uh, it made me extremely happy, extremely happy. That's awesome. Well, Brent, I think that's as, as good a place as any to, to wrap things up. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking some time to talk and uh, been, uh, been a pleasure. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Andy, and thanks for having me. Thanks again to Brent Wilson. And don't forget, you can read more about Brent, his brothers, and the sport of Galande jumping in this week's Flathead Beacon. It's available for free on newsstands throughout Northwest Montana, and it's free to read online at flatheadbeacon.com. Now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 10 p.m. on Tuesday, March 9th. More Flathead County residents now have access to the coronavirus vaccine thanks to a federal program that has made doses available to school staff, including teachers, at several participating local pharmacies. The federal retail pharmacy program had already allocated more than 9,000 vaccine doses to Montana before the end of February, and this month, those doses have started to reach the arms of eligible residents as defined by the state's tiered reopening. And even more significantly, the federal program allows educators to be vaccinated in Montana for the first time, with Senator John Tester specifically trumpeting the program's impact on teachers who had been bumped down in line for a vaccine by Governor Greg Gianforte since he took office in January. Teachers remain in Tier 1C in Montana and are ineligible to be vaccinated by the Flathead City-County Health Department, something Health Officer Joe Russell said he hoped would change in the near future. For now, educators can check for available appointments at local pharmacies by visiting vaccinefinder.org. Those in Tier 1B or 1B+, can also schedule their appointment through the County Health Department and they can do that by signing up online at flatheadhealth.org slash COVID-19-vaccine. In other news, the impending federal COVID-19 relief package, dubbed the American Rescue Plan, includes a provision that will restore daily passenger train service to northwest Montana within 90 days. Service on the Amtrak route that runs through Montana's Hideline and includes stops in Whitefish and West Glacier was cut to just three days a week last fall as the pandemic worsened. At the time, some rail observers worried the move could be the start of a permanent reduction of service, 
But Senator Tester, who included the provision and voted to pass the American Rescue Plan out of the U.S. Senate, said restoring daily service had been one of his, quote, top priorities since the cuts were made. The provision also calls for Amtrak to recall employees it had furloughed last year. The bill is expected to be signed into law this week. In other news, the Kalispell Chamber of Commerce said it will no longer sponsor a handful of annual parades in town, something it said it had to do in light of the financial hardships of the COVID-19 pandemic. The chamber said it has lost membership and valuable membership dues in the last year, and that a lack of funds combined with a shortage of volunteers made continuing to sponsor parades impossible. It is expected, however, that the annual parades celebrating a number of major milestones each year, including St. Patrick's Day, the 4th of July, Christmas, and the Northwest Montana Fair, will continue to be held with sponsorship support from other local organizations. And finally, an Illinois man has pleaded guilty to raping a, quote, incapacitated woman at an employee dormitory near Lake McDonald last summer. 26-year-old Eduardo Luis Diaz was employed by a private company but worked and was staying inside park boundaries when the assault occurred on July 2nd. Diaz was initially charged with two felonies but reached a plea agreement with prosecutors in which he admitted to the attack in exchange for one of those counts being dropped. Diaz will return to U.S. District Court in Missoula on June 24th for sentencing. That's our show for this week. Remember, you can read more about all of these stories and catch the latest breaking news for free on our newly redesigned website, flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.